0: This audio program is a ministry of Clear Note Fellowship. For more information, go to clearnotefellowship.org. Eating at her table, the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together and then we'll open the Word. Oh, Father, we thank you for the way that you feed and nourish your children in your church. We thank you for the church, our mother, who uh, prepares. Uh, these things for us, we thank you for the care that we obviously need on this earth. we cannot be we cannot make it alone. We are not um, born again to be born as only children. We are born um, to have an elder brother who has suffered for us. We are born to have brothers and sisters all over the world and throughout space and time to keep us company and to encourage us by their stories, by their words out of their mouth, by the the encouragement that they give us through the preached Word and by uh, the relationships we have with them. We pray, Father, that you would feed us now from your Word so that we might know and rejoice more fully in this sacrament that you've given to us. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Eating at her table, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. How many of you, um, I know there's just a lot to be curious about and want to know about, but how many of you are motivated to be here because of controversies you've heard about or been involved in regarding the Lord's Supper? Okay, okay. I mean, I won't ask you any questions about it or where you fall, but okay, there are controversies about the Lord's Supper, and that's unfortunate, but what we're going to do today is just take a kind of the baseline, the the generic vanilla Reformed version of the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to uh, teach about it from the Word, and then throughout we'll bring up some of those things. But if you have a Bible, I'd ask you to open to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. And if you don't, I'll read it out loud to you. But you could follow along. Matthew 26, and I'm going to start reading in verse 26. And this is the institution of the Lord's Supper. This is the word of the Lord. While they were eating, this is Passover, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when He had taken a cup and given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Those are the words of institution. That's what probably you hear some of that read to you every time uh, you take the Lord's Supper. It's where the Lord's Supper comes from. It's a ceremonial meal that Jesus instituted um, the night that he was betrayed. And the church keeps eating the Lord's Supper throughout her history throughout her time, because Jesus said um, in another place, we hear that uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes when you take the Lord's Supper. So it's an ongoing ordinance. So now I want to take you to a a particular church and how uh, one event in that particular church sets up our time together. So I'll withhold some of the names to protect the people, but so the elders in this Particular church had found a certain man guilty of just scandalous awful sin. And so they barred him from the Lord's Supper. The city's governing council, city fathers, decided, you guys can't do that. That would be that's you don't have the power to do that. And so they overruled the elders and said the church couldn't prohibit people from taking the sacrament, and this man had to be allowed up to the table. And the night before they were supposed to partake of the sacrament, the pastor met with the city's governing council and, and said, I'm, I oppose your judgment. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to abide by that. I will uphold my elder's decision and refuse the elements to this fellow. Um, he was guilty of, among other things, wife-sharing. You know, in, in this particular town, they had an understanding where in the early church, they had all things in common so we can have wives in common. You know, and... And so based on their biblical principle, uh, they were openly rebelling against the word of the Lord. And so this pastor said, I swear, he said to the governing authorities, I swear rather to die than to have the Lord's Supper defiled. I would rather be dead a hundred times than to commit such terrible mockery against Christ. And that was the standoff. And they didn't know the song yet, but had they, one of the secretaries might have said... (laughs) <laughs> and the scene was set and so the next day they sh- he shows up the pastor goes to his church he preaches the sermon and imagine now yourself in this, this church there's a large building lots of people there half the people in town it would seem the sermon had been preached the prayers had been offered and the pastor descends from the pulpit and takes his place beside the elements of the communion table and the bread and wine he prays over them, consecrates them, he was ready to distribute it to the people in the in the congregation. And you know he's watching. Is is he here? The pastor's thinking. And then, according to the biographer, this is how his biographer puts it, on a sudden a rush was begun by the troublers in Israel. You know, this the man himself didn't show up, but a lot of his supporters did, and they started rushing toward the table. And in those days, people would file up to the table, and they would take the supper at the table from the from the pastors and then they would go back and sit down. So this group was charging the table and the pastor reaches his arms around the elements and shields them and he calls out in a loud voice, he says, and I'll read what he said, These hands you may crush, these arms you may lop off, my life you may take, my blood is yours, you may shed it. But you shall never force me to give holy things to the profaned and dishonor the table of my God. And after this, his biographer says, the sacred ordinance was celebrated with a profound silence and under solemn awe and all present as if the deity himself had been visible among them. Now, if you're visiting that week, from an evangelical you know from an evangelical church in America you've and you've come and you see that what's going through your mind what's the big deal what's the what's going on arms lopped off dying a hundred times shouting people down in the midst of worship sending them back to their seats refusing the customers are not right on this occasion <laughs> It would make an impression, right? And and just like happened there, profound silence. And but uh, you know, if it happened today, I'll let the cat out of the bag. The pastor's name was John Calvin. John Calvin, and we expect Calvin to do things like that, right? That's just the kind of guy that he is. He's so I withheld the name because that should be every pastor, right? Every elder. That should be normal. That should I mean, hopefully that particular circumstance doesn't normally happen. But if that challenge presents itself, you want pastors and elders who will offer their blood to the open libertines. Um, so there, of course, there are two, two responses to that. One is to say, well, that's Calvin. Nobody else would do that and nobody else should do that. Who is he? Um, isn't the Lord's Supper a... Uh, this is a term from church history. Isn't it a converting ordinance? Isn't it something? Isn't it a means of grace? And by the way, those are two different things: converting ordinance and means of grace. But should it, should we deny people who who need the blood of Jesus, who need to see their sins forgiven? And then there are other people who will hear that story and say, "I wish, I wish I had that kind of care in my church." So what I'm going to do today is explain. Why Calvin was so strong on this, and why some others in church history have been strong on this, why we should be strong on this, what our view of the Lord's Supper should be, and I'm going to I'm going to approach it as I think we should when we go to the Lord's table with three eyes, okay, spiritually speak, um, an eye to the past, an eye to the present, an eye to the future. So the past we remember why we go to the why do we go to the table, and the present. We examine ourselves, we ask ourselves questions before we go to the Lord's table, and we are subject to examination. And then the future, you know, what hope are we celebrating when we come to the Lord's Supper? So, the past. Um, Paul tells us. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, He gave thanks, He broke it, gave His disciples, saying, "Uh, this is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And after the supper, He took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. And then Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So we, we read... Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 24, and 26, will notice this repetition in remembrance of me. Every element is followed with in remembrance of me. Eat and drink to remember Jesus. Now, at, at the time, only Jesus knew the full extent of what he was going to do. He had hinted to them that they they were going back to Jerusalem, he was going to be killed, and, you know, Thomas, let's go and die with him. You know, they know something is uh, something is going to happen. But only Jesus knows the meaning and the extent of what he's about to do. They, the disciples, don't know about the atonement yet. But the night before it all goes down, he institutes this ceremonial meal and he does it in a certain context. So if you think about the the whole day before, what have they been doing? They've been preparing for the... Passover. Passover, yeah. Not communion. They've been preparing for Passover. They've... They've been uh, engaged in certain activities. They've been preparing for and celebrating the Lord's Passover. And there's a connection I want us to see with the Passover. Uh, You know, Stephen talked about the Bible being full of pictures. Uh, And and there there are lots of ways God pictures to us the salvation that he accomplishes in Christ. And the Old Testament history is oftentimes a picture of New Testament truths. And so the history of the Old Testament, including laws and ceremonies, they're shadowy reflections of what we find in the New Testament and what the New Testament says we'll find in glory. So the Lord's Supper casts its shadow back in time as the Passover meal. And they both point to the same thing. Passover points forward to, and the Lord's Supper points back on the death of Jesus, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So the Passover was a, a ritual meal to commemorate a great salvation. The night before they were freed from Egypt, God commanded them to eat a meal in a certain way, you know, staff in your hand, sandals on your feet. You know, no leaven in the house, you got to chase the leaven out. Um, and later in the night the Lord sent a destroying angel throughout the land of Egypt who killed the firstborn in every home. My children are going to grow up probably with nightmares because of the songs that I like to Sing from Pandora. Um, Ralph Stanley has a great song. on. The Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee a lamb. For I am Jehovah, I am that I am. You shall be saved if you hearken unto me. When I see the blood, I'll pass over thee. And then the chorus says, um, I'll pass over thee with the blood I shall see. For today the Pharaoh shall know that I am he. For tonight at midnight, when the angels pass by, the firstborn of Pharaoh in all Egypt, shall die. Judgment was coming through that night. And so Moses gave this ordinance, because the Lord gave it to Moses, to all of all of Israel and said, this is how we do it. God is going to deliver us this very night. He's going to accomplish our salvation and tomorrow we'll be free. There will be an event tonight that will lead to an event tomorrow that will accomplish our freedom." And this will be an enduring ordinance to you. When you enter the land which the Lord gives you, as he promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, what does this rite mean? You shall say, it's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared us. So they were to remember together the great salvation. God had accomplished. The Lord's Supper and the Passover. Meals first celebrated in anticipation of and forever after celebrated in remembrance of a great salvation. So as Jesus is celebrating this Passover with his disciples, he knows where their mind's mind's eye is. Their minds are on the recently slaughtered lamb. Sitting down to a meal. And the way that the lamb had been slaughtered. You go to the temple, you bring your animal there or you purchase it uh, in the appropriate place. With the appropriate price, you know, because Jesus had made sure that um, there was no price fixing or gouging. But when they brought the animal in, they'd line up. They would slaughter all of these lambs at the same time. They would take it in shifts. You know, all the all of the Levites reported, all the all the priests reported to the temple for the Passover. Everybody had to go in, and and pull overtime, and they slaughtered the the lambs or the goats. And as the blood was poured out, they'd catch it in basins. They would throw the blood on the altar. You know, so blood everywhere. The smell and the stench and the cry of the lambs all in their ears. And then they go back and they have this thing sitting in front of them. They've seen blood thrown everywhere today. And Jesus says to them, this is my body, which is for you. He holds the bread. And he holds up the cup. And... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So you get the idea, the the imagery of that Passover. The blood over the door. This is my blood, which is poured out for you. So just like the Passover meal, the sons to ask, what does this mean? Why do we do it? So the meal that Jesus inaugurates on His last night is a meal for remembering. There's another helpful passage from the Old Testament that, that I have always just love this passage it Just there are pictures of glory all through the scripture of where we're going of where we're headed and, and God has given his people little tastes along the way and I think one of the tastes of that is Exodus 24 uh, if you have, have a Bible you can go with me to Exodus 24 it's a high point in Israel's existence they've just gotten the Ten Commandments God's uh, led them out delivered them And he's just given them their culture, so to speak. You know, the Ten Commandments and all the case law and everything. You haven't met a people. You've been slaves. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to tell you how your society is going to be and rejoice in this. So there are people now and they're officially. And then God said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. You shall worship. verse 1. And then later on down, uh, verse 5, He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in basins. And the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar or through, depending on which translation, I think through or tossed. Um, I mean, this is not a gentle spray. This is tossing blood and took the blood of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and said they said all the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient so there's you know the preached word the sacrifice has been made the word has been preached and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words, the blood of the covenant. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God, and they ate and drank. Come on up and worship. Before we worship, something has to happen. And so it's preparation for them to go up and worship, the preparation for acceptable worship. Nowhere else in the Bible do people see God, right? What happened that these people were able to see Him and it even sounds like enjoy table fellowship or spread out a picnic in the Lord's presence? What happened? Covered with blood. The blood of the covenant, right? It wasn't their vows, you know. It was part of it, but the the read, reading the book of the law, their vows, and but what made them acceptable? They were covered in the blood. Okay, and then Jesus says, on the last night, "This is my blood of the covenant." So. Everywhere else in Scripture, you know Moses gets to see God from behind. I think that's a funny passage. You know, I'll show you my back. That's as good as it gets. Um, Isaiah sees God in the temple, screams, you know, and God says, God sends an angel, and he, what does he do? He burns his lips. Isaiah testifies about his, confesses his sins, and I'm from among a people of unclean lips. So God provides the solution. As a, as a symbol of the whole, he sears his lips and burns that away. It's got to be preparation if we're going to be accepted in the presence of God. And so in this account, covered with the blood, Jesus, this covenant meteor, this is my blood of the covenant. And as the elders of Israel were shielded temporarily... And that was a salvation that wouldn't last to all eternity, but temporarily from the wrath of God by the blood of the covenant, those who are covered by the blood of Jesus are protected you know, from the wrath of God. So the Lord's Supper, given in two elements, body and blood, they're signified by bread and wine, um, respectively. And these are signs of a truth that Paul incidentally claims in 1 Corinthians 5.7, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. It just takes for granted. That's how we understand what Jesus did. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. So why do we go to the Lord's table? We go so that by eating and drinking, we can receive the encouragement of tasting and seeing that Jesus has given himself for us. He's given us this tangible sign. Um, This is like a sermon that we eat and drink. Just hear it. You need to hear it again and again. You need to taste it again and again. Every time you go to the Lord's table, you hear the gospel sermon and you taste it and you drink it down. Um, Paul says, I write the same things to you. It's no trouble to me and it's a safeguard for you. Right? And that's what the Lord's Supper is. We need to be safe in the gospel. Uh, those firefighters, remember last week, this last week, that died in the in the blaze. You know, that's and they're an awful picture that we have in the world. Why does God allow these things? So that we know and have a taste of what's to come that will be permanent. Some of those firefighters, I hope and pray, were the fire passed over them and they entered into glory. But one day there will be a fire that passes over everything. And when I first read the reports, they talked about the foil covers that they put over them. And they said, you know, when it gets that bad, they got about a 50-50 chance of making it. You, know. you and I need a better than fifty fifty chance of making it through the coming judgment. When when we have to sit down and see God, or stand, the judgment, and see the Lord, we don't want to gamble at that moment. And so God gives us the new the 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 new covenant in Jesus' blood. He gives us the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, so that we can Practice our assurance. We can be reminded of the promises. So we have to ask ourselves when we go to the Lord's table, do we have that cover? Am I covered by his blood? If the destroying angel comes through tonight, will he see the death of Jesus painted over us? The blood of the covenant. Will we already be bloody? And if we're not, he'll bloody us Um, now so that's the past we look back has jesus jesus died on the cross has he died for me has he died for me do i remember that i have been saved by what he did do i remember that he is my sin substitute he is my atoning sacrifice and now when we come we also have to do a present work that's all the past jesus has done this in the past he's finished his work and now in the present we examine ourselves and we're subject to examination paul says first corinthians whoever then eats the bread and drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the lord but a man must examine himself and in so doing he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Uh, when I first came to Charleston, I started—I I was fencing the table, um, which we'll talk about later. And uh, it wasn't too long after we got there that one of the men in our church died very shortly after he took the Lord's Supper. And I mean, well, it was probably what a week or so, but but you could make the case that the precipitating cause of his death was that he took the Lord's Supper and for not necessarily for spiritual reasons, but for other reasons, health reasons, he, he should not have taken it that night and he died. So, uh, his funeral was was gone, was in the past, and uh, it was probably the next time, time after we took the Lord's table and the Lord's Supper, and I was fencing the table and distributing the elements, and a little boy in the church just was beside himself in terror, and he was tugging at his mom's arm because she had the cup. You know, she had the... And he was just... He, Inconsolable, and one of my elders it just didn't click with me at the time. But one of my elders leaned into him and he said he's thinking of his granddaddy, you know. And now uh, his his mom was about to take, and uh, and at the time I thought, well, you know, yeah, he's he's been listening <laughs> and uh, you know, kind of take, taking it in stride. And well, you know, that but the you know, the more I've thought about it since then, you know in and, and, and watching that particular household since that um, that boy may have been on to something um, out of the mouths of babes sometimes you know when we come to the Lord's table there is an element of judgment of danger of ultimate ultimate danger Um now, I don't say that about the fellow who passed away, but I say that about his, his family. Uh, the children in the church know the sins of the church sometimes better than the pastors of the church because they have to live with it all the time. And anyway, which reminds me of another scary story, but we won't go there. Um, now, so now, now we're going to the present. So we've talked about the past. Jesus has done this. He died once for all. He was offered in the past. His work of atoning sacrifice is done. It never gets repeated. right? Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. So we're not re-sacrificing Jesus. The book of Hebrews says that again and again and again and again. Once for all. Peter says it once for all. He, he was put to death in the flesh and He put death to death. So today, though, our our question as we go to the Lord's Supper, though, is there any evidence that his finished work was done in my behalf? Is there any evidence in my life that I have laid a hold of that sacrifice and that he's doing his work in me? Paul says a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Judgment follows unworthy participation. In fact, he says, if you eat and drink in an unworthy manner, you will be... Guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So not just left with your sins, but left with the biggest sin of all. Right, You will be nailing Jesus to the cross and willing, a willing participant in His death. So to those whose faith and repentance shows their invitation and welcome to Jesus, the Lord's Supper is the food that Jesus gives to them. His body and blood. Take, eat, this is my body. The faith-given repenter, the one who has faith because it's been given to him by God, is welcome to partake of this sacrifice that was already accomplished. And as he takes in the elements, his faith is strengthened. But to those who come indifferent to their sin, brazenly sinning against the Lord, openly sinning against Christ, They're the wolves that show up and and tear at the body. They're not being served. They're swooping in to tear the flesh and eat the blood of the Son. He hasn't invited them. They're thumbing their noses at Christ. So this is a time for us to beware of proclaiming a truth we don't believe. When we come to the Lord's table... It's a time for sincerity, not for hypocrisy. You're in the position, maybe in the position of a preacher who is always preaching the gospel and never himself believing. Preaching against sin and never himself abandoning his sins. It's just a terrible hypocrisy. It's heaping judgment on yourself. So now we come to the question now. Wait a minute. And people who have asked me this. Wait a minute! Isn't there something cleansing about the supper? You know, when we come to the—I always saw the supper as something you just—you just cleansed, and uh, isn't it a means of grace? And then people will say, as Solomon Stoddard said back in the day, a converting ordinance. I come and and the word is preached, and then I taste the word and I drink the word in, and you know, people have been saved at the Lord's table, haven't they? And sometimes people will even go to John six. If You got your Bible? We'll go go back to John six. The end of John six, verses fifty three to fifty eight. Where is? Yeah, this is John. This is one of Jesus' confrontations with the Jews, and he's he's just he's performed this miracle. He's fed thousands of people on just scant little rations. And then he sends them away. He sends his disciples across the, the sea and then says, I'll, I'll meet you and oh, i got to dismiss the crowds. He crosses the sea at night and the people find him. And so there's been miracle after miracle, right? He's, he's fed them this miraculous food, multiplied this bread and, and fish, and he's, he's gotten to the other side of the sea in no time, because he just walked across. But when they when they when they find him, what does Jesus say? You're looking for me not because of my power or my glory that you see or the miracles that you've seen, you're seeking because you ate. And then they get into this discussion about manna. You know, well, you are who you say you are, you show us, you know, Moses gave us manna from heaven, or fathers gave us manna from heaven. You know, you fed us once, Jesus, but you know Moses fed us every day for forty years and forty. And Jesus says, "Well, I'm the manna; I am the food." He says, and so they argue about themselves. He says, "This verse fifty three: Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves." He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who And so the Lord's Supper hasn't happened yet. There's, there's no other context for this other than they brought up the manna. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So not just, I'm better than the manna, but again and again and again, not a subtle point, eat my flesh. You know, and the the words that he uses, writers talk talk about this being. If you chew, you know, it's very graphic language. If you gnaw on my flesh and you chew me, so he's not making a subtle point, but it's a point that's difficult to understand. And when you when you read commentators on this passage, they're always saying. A lot of times, the first thing out of their mouths, if they're Protestants, is they stumble over themselves and they say he's not talking about the Lord's Supper. And he's not. He's not talking about the Lord's Supper in this passage. And the reason they do that is because, uh, going back again to the, isn't it a cleansing thing? Isn't it a means of grace? You know, for years, for, since the 13th century, the official Roman Catholic position is when you eat the bread and drink the wine, that's really Jesus' body and really Jesus' blood. You know, it is in that sense a means of because you're actually taking in eternal life physically. You know, the the outward appearance doesn't change, but the substance changes. You know, hoc est corpus meum, from which we get hocus pocus, hocus pocus right? So <laughs> they hocus corpus meum because they, nobody could hear. That's this. That's the story. So, so there's this change in the elements, and now what the priest gives you. It's Jesus' real body, and it's really his blood, and you take it in, and, and it gives you eternal life. And as long as you keep taking it, you keep having eternal life. Right? So everybody says, This is not, this passage, when Jesus says this, he's not talking about the Lord's Supper. And he's not. John Calvin is very helpful in this. He, he kind of laughs, and he says, As though Jesus is only helpful to us. When he hides under bread and wine, and so we don't get any benefit from him in his intercession in heaven. All the promises that we have for his his care for his sheep—I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's got to swoop down every Sunday or every day, depending on what kind of Catholic you are. Every day he has to swoop down and take cover under little. If you if you went to the church I grew up, you know, little sawn up pieces of King's Hawaiian bread. You know, he's going to hide under under that and Welch's grape juice or, you know, vintage wine. If you're a church planter in the PCA who's goes to the I got I got to I got to shop well. That's another story. I'll get there later. But you know, in the in in the early church, there there was these. Once they decided, it was a gradual process. But once they decided, you know, this really becomes Jesus' blood. Then of course the arguments start. You drop a crumb. A rat eats it. What happens to the rat? He's eaten. Okay. So anyway, um, and of course, this became the basis of denying the cup to the people in the pew because you know cups are easy to spill. People are clumsy, especially peasants, and so the priest would drink it for you, and and then you would eat the little crumbless wafer that. So what is what is Jesus really talking about? Is the physical thing the medicine of immortality? Well, what he's talking about is when you feast on me. Moses gave you manna. The Lord gave you manna from heaven to sustain your body, your body's life. Right? Their bodies would have fallen a whole lot, a full whole lot sooner if there was no manna in the wilderness. God provided for the sustenance of their body. Jesus is saying, and He says, He even makes this explicit, these words I've spoken to you are spirit. Right? The words I've spoken to you are spirit and our life. I'm not talking about the physical bread or the physical flesh. But when, when someone believes in Christ, He becomes our life. He becomes the sustenance for our souls. You need, your soul will only live as your soul daily feasts. On me, on who I am. I am your lamb that is dead for you and is now alive. This is what he means. When we eat by faith, Jesus doesn't swoop down under the bread, but he catches us up, lifts us up to him, and shows us him. A means of grace, um, like Andrew Dion posted a thing about uh, Sinclair Ferguson teaching on. Um, the fact that we don't think of you shouldn't think of grace as a thing that God, you know, shoots down to us. You know, just like our salvation isn't God infusing us with righteousness. He's not hooking us up to an IV machine and and pumping us full of righteousness that then saves us. Okay. When we talk about a means of grace, it's a means of seeing Jesus, of being brought to him. Because that's where we're going. As the pilgrim said in Pilgrim's Progress, I want to see Him alive who hung dead on the cross. So when we eat and if we want to benefit from the Lord's Supper, we eat by faith. And Jesus lifts us up to be with Him where He is. Um, There are other warnings from Scripture. Scripture. If we go on willfully sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment. And the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries, anyone who set aside the law of Moses and his manna, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much severer do you think he will deserve punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant? by which He was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. If you're a friend of the world, if there's things you're not letting go of, sins you're not willing to put to death, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 10, you're eating, you're you're sharing yourself with the table of demons and the table of the Lord. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? So we need to eat worthy. Um eat worthy, so how many of you raise your hand if you 're worthy to take the lord 's supper don 't raise your hand signal with a index finger, so we won 't be okay i don 't see anybody moving when we say worthy uh, john Knox's liturgy I read part of that when we do the lord 's supper, and he has it's it's a great way of fencing the table, and you know what I mean by fencing the table you want to make sure that the people who come are the people Jesus is inviting. And the people who Jesus isn't inviting, you want to keep them from being the wolves that are going to tear at Jesus' body and blood. right? So he says, Therefore, in the name and authority of the eternal God and Son, His Son, Jesus Christ, I excommunicate from this table all blasphemers of God, idolaters, murderers, adulterers, all that be in malice or envy, all disobedient persons to father and mother. we got to stop there and make eye contact with some of the children in the church. All who are disobedient to father or mother, um, princes or magistrates, pastors or preachers, all thieves, deceivers of their neighbors, and finally, all such as live a life directly fighting against the will of God, charging them as they will answer in the presence of Him who is the righteous judge, that they presume not to profane this most holy table. And so everybody in the church is nailed to the wall, right? No. No. You should come to the Lord's table, right? I mean, if you're active in these sins, no, but we all want to say, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. But you have a worthiness given to you by Christ, and the symbol, the the proof, the receipt of that worthiness is the life of faith and repentance that Jesus has given you. Knox then continues, and basically what he says, we're running low on time, but I'll summarize. He says, you don't have to have a perfect faith. I'm not telling you you have to have been perfected. I'm telling you you have to have a real faith you have to really know repentance and sorrow for your sin. You're going to walk out the door and on the way home from church, you, you may have a fight. You may lose your temper. You may have done that on your way to church. We're not asking you if you're perfect. Do you have in your heart a godly sorrow? Are you making war against your sin? For albeit we feel in ourselves much frailty and wretchedness, as that we have not our faith so perfect and constant as we ought, being many times ready to distrust God's goodness through our... And he goes on, and he says, you need to come. This is a means of grace. If you're a repenter, Jesus has shed abroad the grace of God in your heart, you are commanded to take. And not to take would be an insult. Um, to to go back to the mother uh, analogy, have you ever been at your mother's table and she has been insulted that you don't want sex? Okay, well, Jesus has prepared a table for you, and He says, "Come. This is My body. This is My blood." You know, your salvation is a fact. If you've been saved, you need to come. One of the one of the purposes behind. The discipline of the church and having elders, one of the purposes of course is to, is to say, you know, cut off my arms and don't come close. But one of the purposes also is to say, you need to come to the table. Jesus is going to feed you. And I know you're scandalized by yourself and you don't feel worthy. That's why he shed his blood. Come. So there's a question: should I, what right do I have to excommunicate myself on a given Sunday? I think the words of institution, Paul's words say, yeah, I mean, you, you are given the opportunity to examine yourself and to step back and say, not today. But if you do that, don't do it alone. You need to go and tell those who would serve you, the Lord's table, what's going on, right? Otherwise, you become a law unto yourself, you know, I'm I'm not worthy, I'm not going to take, and then you're left alone with your sin, and you're left without the taste, you know, taste and see the Lord is good, you're without this assurance that God is serving you, his own son's. Flesh and blood. So, um, along the way, now of course it's a it's a public sacrament. It's something that must be celebrated with other people because other people are seeing you, and elders serve you so that they can watch. Is he taking? And if he's not, hopefully the question will be one. It's a public ordinance because um, if if he does and he's been told not to, you know maybe there can be a fight at church, or or there can be some hard words later, but it needs to be in public so that the, those who watch over your soul can be watching over your soul. Um, it's also a sacrament for those who are able to examine themselves. Okay? I mean, if there can be any other re, uh, any other explanation of Paul's words, then that you need to be able to reflect on your sin and on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and whether you have that grace reflected in repentance, I don't know what it is. Some some folks say, well, you no, know, it was the way that they were eating the Lord's supper. Well, that's fine. The context is a particular sin the body was committing. You know, the rich were going were getting fat, and and the poor were being neglected. That's a particular sin against the Lord, and he was disciplining it, and it had to do with the Lord's supper. Um. But you need to be able to examine yourself. So who would not be able to examine themselves? I mean, the first kind of people that come to your mind. Well, yeah, Samuel. Uh, I don't imagine that Samuel can think about the times he's cried just to get our attention, just to see if he could. You know? <laughs> um, and, and people will give this to their children. All the, But clearly, you need to be able to examine yourselves. Um now, finally, I said, let me wrap it real quick. Future, future. How do we look to the future in the Lord's Supper? Um, just to, to talk about food for a second, uh, there are all kinds of fat. Just call out a fad diet. Fad. Grapefruit. Huh? Grapefruit. G- grapefruit. Yeah. <laughs> Paleo. That's awful. Paleo. Sounds more fun. <laughs> Paleo. Um, what else? Mediterranean diet. Uh, Gluten free. China study. Atkins. China study is a new one, and I want you to explain that to me later. Atkins diet. What's behind? Why do people do this to themselves? Why all the torture? You can feel righteous. You can feel righteous. You He's feel good. G- I'm doing better than this guy. He's just yeah, you better than, Yeah. You can look down at other people, right? Um, Speaking as a victim of fad diet mentality, I, we, I don't think I have the discipline. We've never done one, have we? But that's a failure of discipline. <laughs> but you read about these things, and, or, or workout routines, regimens, P90X, you know, some about uh, running. Um, some of us can plead guilty to those things. These diets and these things, they're, they're just ways of hoping, aren't they? Just ways of hoping. I, I want, and I found myself as I start getting older um, and I start hurting, I find myself surprised at the extent to which I've relied on so many things to keep me immortal. If I exercise, I won't get old. I'll be strong until I'm. I don't know what I'm expecting, but, but I'm getting old. And then the fad diet comes out, and I think, well, I can lower my blood pressure, lower my cholesterol, I can start walking, you know, and I can get in the... All of these are, are false hopes trying to keep us in the world as long as possible. And yeah, I'm sure if I could keep to one, I could look down on somebody who wasn't. But they're just they're, just, they're false hopes. They're, you know, Now, there's some people who need to take better care of their bodies. I don't doubt that. We're hoping in it. You understand? We put hope in, in these things. And what does Jesus say about the hope of his meal? I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Why are we so eager for immortality in this life? You know, what's so all-fired important about looking good when I'm 90 years old? My hope is supposed to be beyond that, through that, to this meal that is waiting. And it's not a gluten-free meal. And it's... (laughs) It's meat. It's wine. You know... It's a feast. Okay? So, there's a, so when we take the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is when we, when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're thinking forward to that feast and thinking there will be a last pain. There will be a last tear. When we eat the bread and drink the wine, we think forward to the day... When there will be a last sin. And we'll feast. You know, the Lord's Supper is just a shadow of the Marriage Supper. And we'll eat and we'll be fat souls for all eternity. Okay? So, with that, our session slams to a close. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this meal. We uh, know so often, we feel the unworthiness um, that we're right. We don't deserve the marriage feast on our own. But Jesus has given us our worthiness by His shed blood. And I pray that for those of us here, we we would know of that sacrifice and remember it, call it to mind, that Jesus Christ has suffered for us, has put His blood over us, Your wrath, when it comes through, will see His death. And at judgment, when we stand before Your throne, Your eyes will see His righteousness. Father, we pray that this this taste of glory would cause us to hate our sins because we more and more love that hope we confess. Someday there will be a last sin and the party will begin. Father, would you keep this hope fresh in our hearts so that when we celebrate your Supper, we can do so with clear consciences, joyful faces. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of Clear Note Press. Please feel free to share this recording with others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more resources like this, go to clearnotefellowship.org.